You may be seated. Well, welcome to HBF. It is, I am glad that you're here this morning. It is good to see you. And uh, man, great singing this morning. Christmas songs, it's beautiful. And uh, if you have your Bibles, we turn to the book of Exodus chapter 3. Exodus chapter 3. We're in the book of Exodus going through this series on getting out of Egypt. It's the getting out of Egypt sermon series. And uh, we're uh, going to be turning to page 85. If you have a, uh, don't have a Bible, grab one from the seat rack in front of you, and you can be turned to page 85. So I'm, uh, I'm a little distracted here. My technology went out on me, as always, when you need it. All right, so uh, we're on page 85, and if, uh, I just want to ask you a question this morning. Um, have you ever been in a situation uh, that just kind of just scares you to death? Like you're completely unsettled and uh, you're in a, in a situation where you, you know, you just, you just don't, you don't want to face it. And I've, I've been there. And I remember when I was a, a younger man, a much younger man, in my early 20s, I was, um, I was, I was actually, yeah, I was just about 21 years old and I had started this new job and I hadn't been there that long. Um, and the CFO of our company walks in. And he says, uh, hey, I need you to speak at the Commons Conference in Kansas City. And this Commons Conference was an IBM type of conference, more of a mini mainframe group of people. It wasn't, it wasn't PC people. I, was a, I worked off of a personal computer and uh, did my drafting and all of that. <clears throat> and I was like, no, I'm not interested in that at all. And, uh, and he was like, uh, well, no, I, I need you to do this and so on and so forth. And he wouldn't take no for an answer. And he would already had me booked to do this CAD CAM presentation, because that's what I did at our job. I was a CAD CAM guy, you know, taking drawings and making, making them into sheet metal and all of that. So anyway, um, I was like, well, Dwayne, I, no, I really don't want to do that. And so he was like, no, um, I think you'll do a great job, blah, blah, blah. And he, had me, and he already had me scheduled. He would not take no for an answer. And I was absolutely mortified at that time. I did not want to do that. I was like, man, I am... And he gave, I gave him every excuse in the book, and he was not going to take no for an answer. So I had a, like a knot in my stomach for probably six months waiting for this, this day to come uh, down at Bartle Hall where I had to talk about CAD CAM. I felt completely inadequate. I had no idea why in the world I had to do this, but I had to. Um, and the only thing I, I, <clears throat> I really remember is, is just uh, how relieved I was when it was over. And... Uh, and so there are times when, when you, we simply need courage and encouragement to answer the call. And, you know, the CFO, to his credit, Dwayne Dio, he never, he never took no for an answer. And he just encouraged me. Oh, you can do it. You can do it. You can do it. Well, I've, I really was out of my element. I mean, it was just like throwing me in the deep end of the pool when you couldn't swim and at that time. But it was really interesting because God coordinated that event with my first opportunity to preach. Uh, and that was at City Union Mission. And, and it was a parallel track. It was the same week, as a matter of fact. So the same week in which I had to speak at this Commons Conference was the same week in which I had to, I not had to, I got to preach at the City Union Mission. And one of them I wanted to do, and the other one I didn't want to do. And, uh, and actually it was really a cool thing that God did in my life because he used it to just kind of help me remember um, you know, how he gets you through things. Even when there's things he, you feel like, man, I don't know if I can do this. I absolutely, I think I did okay, by the way, I don't, at the, at the commons conference. But the thing is that God, God, God puts you in situations sometimes and you feel completely inadequate. 
you're like, I have no business teaching these people about CAD CAM. You know, I'm 21 years old. All these guys are 50 plus, most of them, gray hair guys. And uh, I actually, it was actually quite a good, it was quite a good, actually when it was over, I was like, man, that was fun. That was good. So anyway, but it was just, it just scared me to death. You know, I just, I had no peace about it. I was, had no, I had no confidence. Um, and so, you know, it's kind of how Moses felt, right? He, he runs into God on the mount and, uh, and God is like, uh, hey, Moses, uh, I need you to lead my people out, right? He gives them all that rundown that we saw last week. Then he says, I need you to, I need you to take them out of here. And you can imagine, uh, you know, standing before the burning bush. And it was an awesome call in which Moses was completely and utterly in awe of God, as he should have been, by the way. Um, and in that setting, you know, with his face on the ground, his shoes off, in the presence of a holy God, he hears that, come, come now, therefore, and I will send thee unto Pharaoh, that thou mayest uh, bring forth my people, the children of Israel, out of Egypt. You know, I mean, I'm sure when he heard those words, he was like, no, that's not going to be me. But you know what? It was him, and God called him to it. And when God calls you to it, he will get you through it, right? When God calls you to it, he will get you through it. So if you have your Bibles, let's stand together. We're going to read the text this morning and pick up on the call of Moses, uh, Exodus chapter 3. And we are going to be in verse 11 and pick up this chapter and finish it up this morning. Exodus chapter 3 and verse 11. So there at the paragraph mark, right, we saw in verse 10 uh, right before that, it says, Come now therefore, and I will send thee unto Pharaoh, that thou mayest bring forth my people, the children of Israel, out of Egypt. And then verse 11 goes further, and he says, And Moses said unto God, uh, Who am I that I should go unto Pharaoh, that I should bring forth the children of Israel out of Egypt? And he said, Certainly I will be with thee, and this shall be a token unto thee that I have sent thee. When thou hast brought forth the people out of Egypt, ye shall serve God upon this mountain. And, Mo- and Moses said unto God, Behold, when I come unto the children of Israel, and, s- and uh, shall say unto them, The God of your fathers has sent me unto you, and they shall say to me, What is his name? What shall I say unto them? And God said unto Moses, I am that I am. And he said, Thus shalt thou say unto the children of Israel, I am hath sent me unto you. And God said, uh, moreover, unto Moses, Thus shalt thou say unto the children of Israel, The Lord God of, the, of your fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob, hath sent me unto you. This is my name forever, and this is my memorial unto all generations. Go and gather the elders of Israel together, and say unto them, The Lord God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, of Isaac, and of Jacob, appeared unto me, saying, I have surely visited you and and seen that which is done unto you in Egypt. And I have said, I will bring you up out of the mount, or out of the affliction of Egypt unto the land of the Canaanites, and the Hittites, and the Amorites, and the Perizzites, and the Hivites, and the Jebusites, in the land flowing with milk and honey. And they shall hearken to, the vo- to thy voice, and thou shalt come, and, they, and the elders of Israel unto the king of Egypt. And ye shall say unto him, The Lord God of the Hebrews hath met with us, and now let us go. We beseech thee three days' journey into the wilderness, that we may uh, sacrifice to the Lord our God. Verse 19. And I am sure that the king of Egypt will not let you go. No, not by a mighty hand. And I will stretch out my hand and smite Egypt with all my wonders, which I will do in the midst thereof. And after that, he will let you go. And I will give this people favor in the sight of the Egyptians, 
And it shall come to pass that when ye go, ye shall not go empty, but every woman shall borrow of her neighbor and of her that sojourneth in her house jewels of silver and jewels of gold and raiment. And ye shall put them upon your sons and upon your daughters, and ye shall spoil the Egyptians. Heavenly Father, we're so thankful for the word of God this morning. As we sing songs of praise, we think about your coming to us in the form of a child. So humble, Lord, as you manifested yourself to humanity. Uh, you, were the, you are the King of kings. You were the King of kings. You will be the King of kings and the Lord of lords for all of eternity. And yet, and when we're down in this life at times, Lord, it just seems... Sometimes like it's hard to get connected. And Lord, I pray this morning as we look at this story of Moses, as he's come face to face with you on the Mount Horeb, Lord, as he's being called to lead the children of Israel back out of Egypt into Sinai to meet again with you, Lord. I pray, God, that we would remember that we've been called today uh, to meet with you. As we come together this morning, we've gone out in the world since last week. We've taken our journeys, Lord, and a lot of things have happened, and, and you called us back together today to be a witness for you. I pray, God, you'd speak to your church the only way you can, Lord, through the Spirit of God, through the Word of God, uh, Lord, that it would be a powerful time in communion with you, and we'd go out of here changed. Lord, I thank you, and I praise you for you. I thank you for your church, and I pray a blessing on the reading and the hearing of your Word. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. So God assures the call. That's the title of the message this morning because Moses needed assurance. Like I needed assurance, like you need assurance. We all need assurance at times, especially when God's calling us to do something uh, that's above our ability, right? Higher than our pay grade, way out of our our comfort zone. And God calls all of us uh, to do that. Really, the, the privilege and the opportunity that all of us have to accomplish the Great Commission is way above our pay grade. And yet we endeavor to do that. And And I think we have some things this morning we can see in the text that will encourage us in the call and in the assurance that God gives us in that call. And the first thing that we're going to see this morning is that God assures the called with his presence. Right? God assures the called with his presence. Right? The first thing he does is he shows up on the mountain. He calls Moses to himself. Of course, once he gets there, we covered that last week. He, he informs him it's holy ground. And he takes off his shoes, of course. He's bowing down before the God. But Moses learned sincere humility from the school of, of uh, sheep herding. Right? So he, he learned to be sincerely humble through the school of, of shepherding. Right, through the, he was a sheep herder, and so uh, he was able to. If you're looking for the blank, actually, it's, it's shepherding. I said sheep herding, whichever, however you want to say that. But uh, shepherding would be the proper way. I, I just tend to say sheep herding because I like it. Um, but anyway, so he went to uh, when I was in shepherd school, which was the name of our Bible institute at KCBT. I called it sheep herder school, so it's kind of it's the way I roll. But anyway, um, the, the, he learned his the humility. Right as he. He came out of Egypt. He was uh, he was a mighty man, you know, out of, the, out of Pharaoh's house, and he ends up becoming a, a sheep herder, uh, a shepherd, and that's where he learned humility. So in Exodus three eleven, we saw it say, where he responds to God when God gives him this call. He says, "Who am I that I should go unto Pharaoh and that I should bring forth the children of Israel out of Egypt?" Now that is the proper response to such an incredible call, right? I mean, we should we should all feel that way, you know, when God shows up to you and He says, "I got all power." And I, need, I, got, I want you to teach all things to all nations, right? Matthew 28, 19 through 20. We all ought to say, whoa, 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 hold, hold, hold on here, you know. That's a big call. I'm sure, the disciples, I'm sure, were like, whoa, that's, that's a big call. However, uh, just because it's an incredible call doesn't mean you don't have an incredible God. And so God brings, we need that. That was a good response. We need to have a humble uh, position. If, if God calls you to reach the world and you're like, hey, I'll get on that tomorrow. Let me put that in my planner. I'll take care of that tomorrow. I got it. You don't understand the magnitude of what God's asking you to do. Or, by the way, the opposition. 
of the adversary who doesn't want you to accomplish that mission. It's a humble thing for God to call us, and we're all called. Today, you're called. If you're not even, even if you're not a Christian, you're called. God's calling you to salvation. If you're a Christian, certainly you're called. God's called all of us to serve him, right, in service, in sanctification, right? And so, so God's calling all of us all the time to engage in his mission. So Moses was sincere in his response, and it was the proper response, I might add. So Moses rightly assessed his experience was not enough. In fact, it, he was so old, right? He probably felt like he was past his... his uh, his due date, right? His, uh, he expired. His expiration date is what I'm looking for. He was past his expiration date. He's like, man, I'm, I'm 80. I'm not sure you need a guy this old. Maybe you need to go back and get someone younger. So he had an age, uh, you know, uh, he could have used as an excuse. Moses rightly assessed that his education, which, by the way, was probably excellent, was not enough, right? His formal education, um, which is very good education, was a formal education, but in light of what God was calling him to do, he's like, well, are you sure? I don't think so. I don't think, I, I don't think I'm young enough, and I don't think I'm smart enough. And by the way, I'm sure he was very, and is, and was very intelligent. Um, and so he, he, he was in a situation in his prime where he would have leveraged his intellect and his power and his authority. And he had a reason probably for feeling this way, right? Because there was a time, 40 years old, in the prime of his life, where he took all of that education and all of that strength that he had and all of that experience that he had from Pharaoh's house, and he leveraged it to try to, 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 to bring justice to his people. And, of course, it failed miserably because they didn't, it was, it, they didn't want it, and it wasn't the right time, and that's what wound him up in the sheep herder school, right? And so Moses had nothing going for him at this point in his life. At 80 years old, 40 years in the desert uh, with Jethro, uh, all he had going for him at this point was God. And that's exactly what he needed. All he had was God, and that's exactly what he needed. He needed God, and that's all he needed. And, and praise God for that. So you may be here this morning, and you feel like, man, I have nothing to offer God. Well, man, you are exactly where you need to be because you're the person God wants to use. I mean, God wants to use that. That's absolutely fine. You don't have to offer God anything but your life. And that doesn't mean because you think you have nothing to offer, he's not calling. Because he wants your heart. He just needs a broken and contrite heart. And maybe you could provide that. You know, it's usually when you have a broken and contrite heart when you don't feel very usable. And that's exactly when God is ready to use you. Maybe you rolled in here this morning and your heart's broken. Man, this is a great time for you to answer the call of God. You know, we don't merit God's call to salvation or service. It is literally a privilege. It is grace. God's riches at Christ's expense. God loves us. He wants to bestow upon us His Son, right? He wants, to, he wants us to be in Christ first. He wants us to be saved. And then He wants us to be sanctified uh, uh, in a practical way as we are positionally so we can serve Him in power so the world can be changed through his influence in and through us. So point B, God doesn't dis disagree with Moses' response. Like God doesn't say, oh, well, Moses, come here, come here. Let me talk to you, son, and give him a pep talk. Moses, Moses does not, or God doesn't disagree with Moses' response. God does nothing to build Moses' self-esteem. He doesn't say, well, Moses, you, you, really, you really have what it takes. I mean, come on, you, you've got it. Uh, no, he doesn't say, you're the man. Moses, you're the man. You can do this. 
Actually, it's quite the opposite. He, he doesn't do anything to diminish Moses' confidence either, right? So he doesn't say anything to, to, to like bolster him his self-esteem, but he doesn't do anything to diminish his confidence. He could have agreed with Moses and told him all the many reasons why he is absolutely worthless as a servant. You know, aren't you glad that God doesn't do that? He didn't do that either. God didn't say, well, you know, as a matter of fact, Moses, you're, you really are a failure. You have failed miserably. No, he didn't do that. Uh, he didn't do that. And he, he simply, uh, he built Moses' God esteem. That's point C. He, he built his God esteem by uh, assuring him with his presence. And you probably, God esteem is not something you're going to find in the dictionary. It's a term I've made up. But we need God esteem because in a world that we live in, everybody wants self-esteem. That's, that's what you'll hear in the world today. Self-esteem, self-esteem, self-esteem. What we really need is, is God esteem. See, God responds to Moses' worthiness crisis by assuring him that he will be with him. How do you get God esteem? Well, God says, I'm going to be with you. Verse 12, look at that. It says, and he said, certainly I will be with thee. That's his response to Moses. It's not that you're a great guy, Moses. He just says, hey, Moses, I will be with you. I'm with you in this. I'm not sending you without me. (laughs) I'm going where you're going. Your presence is with me. I was just reading my daily reading, right? Eventually, not only will God be with Moses, God will be with Israel, right? In the pillar in the cloud. He will, he will assure them with his presence, his presence. And he says, this shall be a token unto thee that I have sent thee, right? Why? That I am with you. That's the token. And when thou hast brought forth the people out of Egypt, you shall serve God upon this mountain. I'm going to be with you now. I'm going to be with you then. And I'm going to be with you again when you are right here again after you have fulfilled the call. I am with you through the whole thing. Man, just take a deep breath. <sighs> you know, Jesus says, that's the last thing he tells his disciples, right, in Matthew 28, uh, when he gets there and he says, okay, here's your big mission, and lo, I'm with you always, even till the end of the world. Right, so what do we need? We need that same assurance that Moses needed. We need to know that he is with us. We don't need self-esteem, we need God-esteem. We need to esteem uh, that God's word is true and believe that he truly is with us. So God builds our confidence and assurance in his call to us in the same way. So in Matthew 28, 20, that's what he told him. I will be with you all the way, even till the end of the world. But he goes uh, further before that and promised them, I will pray the Father, and he shall give you the comforter, that he may abide with you forever. Even the spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive, because it seeth him not, neither knoweth him. But ye know him, for he dwelleth with you, and shall be in you. And I will not leave you comfortless, I will come to you. And of course we know in Acts chapter 2, the Spirit of God indwelt the church. And, and, uh, and, uh, and now when we call upon the name of the Lord, Christ, the Lord Jesus Christ, who is the express image of God, dwells in us. Right. So when we, literally, we, say, we use that term, invite Christ into your heart. When we call out to Christ in sincere repentance, what happens is he indwells us. He comes into our heart. He is in us. It's not like he's like with us, like, oh, you know, you see the bumper stickers. God's my co-pilot. Well, no, he's running the whole show. He's not my co-pilot. I'm just riding along with him because he is leading and he is guiding. And that's what Moses needed to have to be, have that God esteem is to know that, man, God is, he's in us. It's interesting today, by the way, 
if you're a young Christian, you need to get involved in the discipleship. We have a discipleship one ministry. And, and one of the most important things we, we teach right off the bat is about salvation and eternal life. The, by the way, the word eternal means forever. And so when you get forever life, it means you have it forever. But one of the most destabilizing doctrines that uh, floats around through the church today is that you can lose your salvation, right? And I tell you, when you're, you're in jeopardy because you, because you somehow have to merit God's favor all the time to keep your salvation, well, then you know what? You're, you're, you're getting saved every week, every day, every 30 minutes, and you never grow in grace and faith to answer the call. You answer the altar call, which is great, and you'll answer that altar call every week, you know, until Jesus comes. And by the way, there are people, I, I appreciate the sincere-hearted people that don't understand the Scripture. Their hearts are sincere in that, and I, I'm not beating up on them. But what they really need is God esteem. They need to understand that God's, they didn't merit God's salvation. They got it by grace through faith in what Jesus Christ already did. It's His faith. He did the finished work 2,000 years ago. So we don't grow until we know that we are secure in Christ, that we have His blessing, not only at salvation, but also in service. And man, if, it, if, if you had to do something to keep your salvation, you're in trouble. You didn't have to earn it, and you don't have to do anything to keep it. And of course, always the argument is, well, then you can do anything you want. I don't know. Can you do anything you want? You can try, but you see, you got a Father in Heaven. He'll spank your bottom, and uh, you can try it, but have at it. Anyway, moving on. So, uh, so we're assured of God's presence in us, <clears throat> not only because we gather together in His name, but because we've called upon His name, and He has saved us and possessed our souls for all eternity by His glorious grace and power. So if you have never come to the place where you've called upon the name of the Lord Jesus Christ to save you, you don't have the assurance of eternal life. You don't have that comfort. His name is literally, I read from John 14, the Comforter, the Holy Ghost. Not the Holy, He is the Holy Spirit. But what Holy Ghost refers to the fact that He is in us. It's personal. He's the Holy Ghost. He's in us. And so, uh, man, you need that today because God assures the called with His presence. That's why we have a lesson on eternal security because it, it, it's about the assurance of salvation, how he, he confirms our call to salvation through His presence, how He is in us. We also have a lesson on the Holy Ghost. And so point two, God assures the called with His name. The text goes on in verse 13, and he says, uh, God, uh, Moses has, anticipates the question of his Hebrew brothers, right? Uh, and he's like, uh, well, God, they're going to ask me this. What, what is his name, and, and what shall I say unto them? In verse 13, he's like, well, man, uh, when I come and say, that, you know, the God of your fathers has called you, um, and they sent me to you, and they're going to just say, well, what God are you talking about? And by the way, uh, that is a good question, uh, and God knows why Moses would ask it. I, I never actually thought about it too much until I was prepping this series. But first, the Egyptians have a pantheon of pagan gods. I mean, they've got Ra, uh, who is the deity that is supposedly created everything, um, consider, considered equal to the Creator, uh, <clears throat> which, of course, is blasphemy, and it's not true at all, but there's, there's only one creator, and that's God. But at this time, God, uh, God's name, Jehovah, has not been revealed to Moses nor the children of Israel, but it's about to be. Secondly, Moses knows many of his Hebrew brothers are likely pagan 
as their Egyptian taskmasters. See, they're not, they're not a really spiritual group when it comes to following God. It didn't take much time after Moses went to Sinai. They're down there making a calf, right? They're having, they're having an identity crisis. So Moses is aware of this. He's, he come out of Egypt. He understands that these folks are pretty uh, synchronized with the culture, right? Uh, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, he's great when he works, and the God of, uh, you know, the stock market's great when he works, right? So uh, they're, they're serving multiple gods, whichever one seems to bring them that peace that they think they need, right? So, so he's like, hey, God, who, who am I going to say sent me? And, uh, and Moses is pretty tuned in, I think, with where his brothers are at. And we see later, uh, of course, that uh, when they, they build that Egyptian god, it's probably the god Apsis, uh, which is the god of power, virility, and fertility. So it, didn't, it doesn't take them long, right, to switch over to a different god. So Moses wanted to be clear with the people of the god that they served was not one of those pagan gods. Uh, I do think that was a good question. So this is a, a common concern for our brothers in other countries. We see this when we uh, preach in other countries oftentimes in the Bible text itself, they'll use a corrupt, oftentimes a corrupt name for God. This came up just not too long ago with a brother that was talking to me. He was not pleased with a certain translation that, that, that was circulating in his, in his country because um, the, the name for God, he said, was wrong. So there are times when they will call God Allah, but it's not, the, it's not Allah. Allah is, is a different God, so they want a different name. There, there is a name for, for God that uh, does not presume the name Allah. And then there's also a Hindu deity. I was just talking with a brother that he was saying that the Hindu God was in place of, of the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob in their Bible. So you could imagine that could be confusing, especially in these pagan cultures. And so God assures Moses and the children of Israel with his name. And uh, this is a very familiar passage to many when God says, I am that I am, has sent you, right? Now, this is, a, this is interesting. So God goes on, and as Moses brings this up, and he goes, what, am I gonna, what shall I say to them? He says in verse 14, and God said unto Moses, I am that I am. And he said, thus shalt thou say unto the children of Israel, I am, has sent me unto you. And God said moreover unto Moses, thus shalt thou say unto the children of Israel, the Lord God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob, hath sent me unto you, this is my name forever and ever, and this is my memorial unto all generations. So this is the only place in Scripture where the words I am are capitalized, um, you know, all caps. And the Holy Ghost wants us to know that we are dealing with the great I am. So we see this title for God uh, stuck with the Hebrews from the moment God spoke it to Moses and Horeb uh, until the public ministry of the Lord Jesus, and I suspect to this day as well. So in John chapter 14, just to give you some examples, in John chapter 14 and verse 6, the Bible says, Jesus saith unto him, I am, and you know this verse, the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh unto the Father but by me. If you had known me, ye should have known my Father also, and from henceforth you know him uh, and, <clears throat> and have seen him. He's saying, I am God in that passage. The multitudes were astonished when Jesus said, that he was the I am. In the book of Matthew, chapter 22, verse 32, the Bible says, I am the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. God is not the God of the dead, but of the living. Now, that was quite a statement he made when he said that. I am. I am. I am the same God that Moses talked to on the mount. I am that I am. 
the self-existing one. So the Pharisees knew exactly who Jesus was when he said before Abraham, I am. And they went ballistic when he said, I am. Uh, in in uh, John chapter 8, verse 58, the Bible says, Jesus said unto them, Verily, verily, I say unto you, before Abraham was, now he didn't capitalize it, but he said, I am. Oh, my goodness. And, and then took they up stones to cast at him. But Jesus hid himself and went out of the temple, going through the midst of them, and so passed by. I mean, when Jesus told the Pharisees, uh, yeah, before Abraham, I am, they knew exactly what he was saying, that he is the same I am that stood with Moses on the mountain. And they saw that as blasphemy. Why? Because they didn't believe that Jesus was the, the I am. Just like today, many, many Jews, most Jews don't believe that Jesus is, I am. And they're in condemnation because of that, because he is still the way, the truth, and the life. I am the way, the truth, and the life, he said, because he is the only way. He is God. He is the God that appeared, as we talked about last week, at Christophany, a theophany. He is the God that appeared to Moses there in Mount Horeb. So in Revelation, we see Jesus says, I am the Alpha, the Omega, right? The beginning and the end twice concluded in the New Testament in Revelation 22, 13, and 16. I am, right? He is the beginning and the end. He is God. So God gives more definition to I am by using his name Lord. So the word Lord, capital L, capital O, capital R, capital D in English is the Hebrew word for, and some of you may know this, Jehovah, uh, which means self-existing or eternal one. I am also means exist, right? He exists. Before anything else, there is God, and before there was anything, there was God. He's always existed. He is eternal. I am. So though this is revealed to Moses on Sinai, the whole of the Pentateuch, the first five books of the Bible, and the remainder of the Bible as a whole is filled with this title for God. So Moses uses Lord, capital L, capital O, capital R, capital D, or Jehovah for God's name in Genesis 2-4, and it will be mentioned 6,575 more times in the Old Testament. This is the name, among others, by which the children of Israel know God. And so the New Testament, we, in the New Testament, we find the word Lord five times, and each mention is simultaneous for God, the supreme Lord, Master, and all-powerful God. That is our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. So God meant, and of course, we affix the name Jesus Christ because we recognize that Jesus Christ is Lord he is, I am, as we've already laid out in the New Testament. So God defines Lord for us in Exodus 6.3. If you're looking there in the text, you can flip to Exodus 6 really quick, just a couple of pages over. And down in verse 3, you don't have to depend on any scholarly works. You can just look in your Bible, and this is the most scholarly work. It says, And I appeared unto Abraham, unto Isaac, and unto Jacob, by the name of God Almighty, but by my name <coughs> Jehovah was I not known to them. So God reveals later on in, in chapter 6 that he is revealing his name Jehovah. He was the Lord God Almighty uh, to you know the patriarchs. But here on Mount Sinai, he says, I am Jehovah, the self-existing one. So the word Jehovah is, is only found written in the Old Testament uh, four times. And each time it is capitalized as Jehovah, all caps. Exodus 6.3, Psalms 83.18, Isaiah 12.2. And, uh, and uh, also chapter 26 and verse 4. In Exodus 6, 3, he says, I appeared unto Abraham and to Isaac and to Jacob by the name of, of God Almighty, by my name, Jehovah, was I not known to them. Psalm 83, 18, 
He says, Then <clears throat> that men may know that thou, uh, know that thou, whose name alone is Jehovah, art the most high over all the earth. Behold, he says in Isaiah 12, 2, God is my salvation, I will trust and not be afraid, for the Lord Jehovah is my strength. And also in Isaiah 26, 4, Trust ye in the Lord forever, for in the Lord Jehovah is everlasting strength. And so today we take great assurance knowing that Knowing God as Jesus, the Savior of the world, we not only can uh, we not only can know God's name is Lord Jesus Christ. We can also take on that name uh, by having a new birth, and that's why, beloved, you and I are called Christians. Now, historically, of course, that was to make fun of us for for being little Christ. There's a reason we have that name, right? Because we have taken on the name of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. He is in us. So God is sending you to deliver His name. If you're a Christian, you have a message of deliverance. Which brings us to our next point in God's assurance. And uh, I did miss a point here, and I'm looking. Let me go back and find it for you, just real quick. Uh, oh well, it's gone. I know what it is, but I've I don't know where to find it. Anyway, I'll bring it up somewhere else. All right. So God God assures the called with with His command in verse uh, in in the third point. So He assures us with His presence. He assures us with His name, and He assures the called with his command in verse 16. He says, Go and gather the elders of Israel together and say unto them, The Lord God of your fathers, the God of Abraham and of Isaac and of Jacob, appeared unto me, saying, I have surely visited you and seen that which is done to you in Egypt. So God, go as God has commanded, right? Go as commanded. That's what he tells him to do. Go ye therefore, right? He didn't say it that way, but he says, Go and gather and go and say, I've got business for you to do. Go as commanded. He wants to give him assurance uh, in his command. I'm giving you something to do. You know, God has given you and I something to do. He's given us a command to go. We should find assurance in that. Why? Because we're profitable to him. He wants to use us. There, there is a comfort in knowing God's commanding us to go. He's not asking us to go. He's not encouraging us to go. He's telling us to go. See, Carol's going right now, so good. <laughs> she is obedient. So... Uh, I'm sorry, Carol. That was just perfect timing. So <laughs> she's got to go pick up Curtis. But anyway, so um, so he's commanding us to go, just like he does in the Great Commission, Matthew 28:19 through 20. Go ye therefore and teach all nations. Oh well, no, 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 Brian, you don't understand. That's the missionary's job. You know, that's 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 Joe Hendrickson's job. That's those those, those guys. I'll, I'll give some money toward that, right? No, no, it's your job. And it's my job. No, it is your job, Brian, but it's not my job. No, no, it's, yeah, it is my job, and it is Joe Hendrickson's job. It's your job, right? It is your job and my job. We are all to go. Go ye, therefore, teach all nations. Now, you can distill that. You say, well, that's in, the, that's in Matthew. You know, that was the apostles. Okay. Well, listen, let me tell you what Paul said to Timothy. He says, and the things that thou hast heard of me among uh, many witnesses... Which, by the way, all those apostles were witnesses. They all gave their life for the gospel. The same commit thou to faithful men who shall be able to teach others also. So these things that were given to them have been given to us. And go still means go. <laughs> go still means go. Go. Go you therefore. And there's that comfort, though, that comes in an assurance. You're like, well, Brian, I don't feel worthy to go. Well, you know what? I really don't care how you feel. Because uh, God doesn't care how you feel. He's commanded you to go. That's, that's what he says. And there's a comfort knowing that God has commanded you. It's not based on how you feel. It's based on obedience. 
I guess there is a feeling there. It's like, hey, do I feel like being obedient? But we need to be obedient. There's a blessing in obedience. You'll feel a lot better when you're obedient. You ever experience that? Once you do what you know you're supposed to do, whew, got that, I got that settled. It's off my conscience. Praise God. So, man, just, just do what God tells you. Go as commanded, right? Uh, there, there is a reward for keeping God's commands and, con- and consequences if we refuse to obey God's command to go. In 1 Corinthians 9.16, it says, For though I preach the gospel, I have nothing to glory of, for necessity is laid upon me. Yea, woe unto me if I preach not the gospel. So there is a kind of a, a flip side to that coin, right? There's, there's, a, there's the assurance that comes from obedience and going, and then there's the, the burden. Like Paul says, like, woe unto me if I know to do good and I don't do it. That's evil, right? Woe unto me. Now, I'm not trying to lay a guilt trip on you. That's what Paul said. Woe unto me if I preach not the gospel. Why? Because a dispensation of grace was committed to him. And guess what? A dispensation of grace has been committed to us. God has dispensed his mercy and grace upon us. Now I'm talking to the Christians in the house. He has dispensed. He has poured out his grace and mercy on us. And woe unto us if we don't take advantage and seize that opportunity to distribute that to other people. Man, what God forbid. At HBF, we're doing everything in our power which is not enough, right? So we need God's power. We're trusting God for his power to help facilitate what God could do uh, to help people uh, learn about the gospel and go share the gospel. We have a ministry called I Go, right? I Go. You know, we know I am. Now I'm going to introduce you to I Go. Intentional gospel outreach. One of the things that we can all do in this room right now is simply be intentional about our gospel outreach. You can define go this is for liberty. We got liberty in Christ. You can define go. As long as you got the right message and the right God, you can go any direction or any way you want. I don't want to be careful about direction. But you can go to your neighbors. You can go to your, your classmates. You can go to your coworkers. You can go, go, go. Man, it's holiday season. Go, go, go. Be obedient to go. And, and you know what? Go because you know the gospel. And be confident in that, that God has sent you. When you're getting all feeling all funky about it, and you're like, "Man, you, you, Brian, you're making me feel like Dwayne Dio when he asked you to go speak at the Commons Conference." You know, I'm not comfortable talking about Jesus with people. Well, you know what? Dwayne didn't let me off the hook, and I'm not letting you off either. <laughs> you know what? You just got to go because you know, you know the Great One. You know the God that exists. You know Jesus Christ is Lord. You know Him as your Savior, and the confidence that comes just from knowing Him is enough. It's not about you. It's not about how awesome you can speak or not speak. It's really just about being willing to be obedient. And when you go, what will happen is God will open doors. Like the, I mean, he'll just open doors. Well, who, who sent me? Uh, God sent you. Jesus has sent you to share his love with other people. He loves the world. And so uh, one of the reasons that we, we um, one of the things that we do when it comes to obeying his command is doing what we're doing right now this morning. We gather with confidence. We gather with confidence. The Lord told Moses to gather his people. So I don't want to skip over that. Go, right? And he, and he wants to gather up. Go and say this to the people. Gather them up. And we've already seen he wants to bring them back to Mount Horeb. That's going to be his assurance. I need you to go and gather. And so the Lord told Moses to gather the people together and gather them up, up like sheep that are, that are wandering in a fold, right? He wants them to come to the backside of the desert. Just do, Moses, and we'll talk about this more next time, but do what you've already been doing. You've been herding these sheep around to this mountain right now. 
I just need you to go now into Egypt and herd those sheep up and bring them back to this mountain. Just gather them up and come together. And I'll be with you. Just, come, just like you've been doing with Jethro's flock. Just do what you've been doing, but now do it for me and do it this way. Now see what God's doing here? He's asking Moses to be as faithful to the Lord God as he was to his father-in-law. He's like, now Moses, this isn't rocket science. Just do for me what you're doing for Jethro. Like you've, for 40 years, pal, you've been walking around here with his sheep, you know, taking care of his flock. Go back and read it. It's not Moses. It's his flock. It's Jethro's sheep. He's inherited from his father-in-law. He's like, you're taking care of Jethro's sheep. Now I need you to take care of my sheep. Just go on down and pull them up on out of Egypt and bring them on right back here to the same place. Just do what you've been doing. Just gather them together like you've been doing for the last 40 years with Jethro. How many of you in this room are more faithful to your boss's commands than the Lord God of heaven? I mean, your boss says, hey, go here, go there. Jump high, high, you're going to jump. I mean, go there, go here. Go. If you're a good employee, you're going to be pretty obedient, pretty compliant. If you've got a good boss, he's not going to be too overbearing, right? So there's a balance to all that. But there are people that will be more compliant to their boss or their father-in-law than the great I am. And you know in your heart God's telling you to go and do this and do that, but yet you won't do it, but you'll go to work and do everything your boss tells you to do. I'm just saying. It's, it's interesting how we operate sometimes. Conversely, if, if you don't learn to steward the things that God gives you in the kingdom of darkness, you know, then why would God trust you with the souls of the kingdom of light? Like, oh, Brian, I don't tell, I don't do what anybody wants to do. I do what I do. I'm my own man. All right, old man. God probably ain't going to use you. Oh, no, I can do anything. All right. Next, you got to go back to school because you don't know anything like you think you know. Remember, Paul talks about that to the Corinthians. You know nothing yet as you ought to know. But if any man know this, right? Yeah, I mean, the, the, this is the reality: is is we need to follow Jesus. We need to gather in confidence. We need to obey Him. If Moses wasn't faithful to Jethro's sheep, God likely would have found a different deliverer, in my opinion. But He appreciated that faithfulness. Now, Luke says this in Luke chapter sixteen, in verse ten. He wrote, "He that is faithful in that which is least is faithful also in much, and he that is unjust in the least is also unjust in much." If therefore ye have not been faithful in unrighteous mammon, uh, who would commit to your trust the true riches? And if ye had not been faithful in that which is another man's, who should uh, give you that which is your own? No servant can serve two masters, for he will either hate the one or love the other, else he will hold to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and mammon. I don't think it was an accident that the same week in which I was faithful to speak at the Commons Conference was the same week I was able to preach my first message at City Union Mission. I wonder what would have happened if I'd have said, you know, no, I'm not doing this. Maybe God wouldn't have shut the door. I don't know. So speak with clarity. To speak with clarity, we simply need to repeat what God has already given us to speak. And he says, and say unto them, just say unto them, 
The Lord God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, of Isaac, of Jacob, appeared unto me, saying, I have surely visited you and seen that which is done to you in Egypt. See, God didn't ask Moses to produce a creative writing assignment. I mean, he didn't. He didn't, like, give him an extra assignment. He, he gave him, literally, the words he needed to speak in a, really, a lot shorter sentence than I would have. And so he just does it really quick-like and just says, this is it, Moses, this is all you got to say, and gives him the message and gives him the words that he needs to say so he could speak to the children of Israel so they could clearly hear from God. You see, it is our responsibility ability to clearly communicate what God has given to us. Not just mine, and it is, and I struggle as you hear all the time, but we all got to do this. This is the subject of HBI homiletics right now. And so, by the way, Tuesday night, you should come because our two students need an audience. So if you're available on Tuesday night at 6.30 down here in this mighty warriors room, it'd be awesome if we had so many people we had to move into the sanctuary. That'd be fun. So they're preaching. They have to preach. And so... They would be mortified if all of you showed up. That would be awesome. (laughs) But I am sincere, because I know hardly anybody would actually come out on Tuesday night. But if you're available, come out Tuesday night. We will put you to work. You just got to sit and listen to some preaching. It'd be awesome. So you should, so, students, HBI homiletic students, this is the thing. Uh, You're doing a good job. You just got to say what God gives you to say. That's all you got to do. The message was very clear from God, right? I have visited you, verse 16. I have seen you, verse 16. I have promised you deliverance, verse 17. And I have promised you victory, verse 17. There's your message. There's your outline. So the Apostle Paul asked for prayer and for his ability to speak boldly and clearly. In Ephesians 6, 19 through 20, this is what he said. He says, And for me, that utterance may be given unto me, that I may open my mouth boldly to make known the mystery of the gospel, for which I am an ambassador in bonds, for therein I may speak boldly as I ought to speak. Right? He's like, I need, I need help. Moses needs help. He's going to try to get out of this speaking assignment with his brother Aaron. But the point is this. We all need help. We're all a little bit shaky in our assurance at times. But you know what? God gives us what we need so that we can, we can, we can engage. And we, know that we need to gather together. We need to pray for one another. That's why we come together on Sunday. So I hope you're so charged up when you leave here, you're actually going to open your mouth and say what God said through you. Because that's what God wants to do in all of our lives. So we must ensure our conversation doesn't belie our communication. Paul said to the Colossians in Colossians chapter 4, which is dealing with this church age in particular, that I may make manifest as I ought to speak, right? Walk in wisdom toward them that are without, redeeming the time. Let your speech always be with grace, seasoned with salt, that you may know how you ought to answer every man. There is a wisdom. By the way, we're seeing Moses isn't asking dumb questions. I believe the questions about the name, these questions are smart questions because it seems like, well, he's just trying to get out of it. No, he needs to be assured that when he goes, this is going to go over. Right? There's some wisdom to looking at the the people you're going to speak to and thinking it through and asking God, what do you want me to say, God? Because I know i got to give an answer and it's going to come from the Scripture. Give me the passage that you want me to talk about, or the concept. Sometimes you do that on the fly, and God just puts the words in your mouth as you're going. Right? You're asking God, what should I say here? Or sometimes I don't need to say anything. I'm just going to give someone grace. Sometimes you can give people grace by not saying anything. <laughs> you, you want to say something, but you're just like, I'm just going to let that go. We'll just let that lie, because it's not going to help with the gospel here. I'll just wait till there's a better time, a better door. Right? 
and I'll lead them back to, back to Sinai. All right, so if you've ever, if, if you're saved uh, this morning, you should be able to share your testimony with anybody anytime gives you, God gives you an opportunity. Even if you got saved at five years old, it doesn't matter. You, you should be able to share with, with anybody how God brought you to a place of salvation. It doesn't have to be some crazy story. You don't have to, you know, it, 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 for some of you, you got some really gnarly testimonies and they're awesome. And you should, by the way, one of the things you can practice on, being intentional about your gospel outreach, is being able to share your testimony in five seconds, five minutes, or five hours. I mean, really, there is, there is uh, I don't know why I chose the number five, the number of death, but that's a good number. Just die to yourself, <clears throat> you know, die to yourself and learn how to share your testimony. Five seconds, five minutes, five hours. I mean, it's just, uh, if you're just sitting back telling somebody your test, you know, the gnarly details of your testimony, we all know. You know, when I was born in Cass County or whatever, you know, you go back to the beginning. Uh, but you can, you can usually abbreviate that thing and God will open the door for you. So God assures the called with his presence, with his name, with his command, and he assures the called with his promise. In verse 18 it says, And, and they shall hearken to thy voice. So he makes a promise into, to Moses. They're going to hearken to you. They're going to hear what you have to say. And Moses, God assures Moses that the children of Israel will hearken to his voice. Now Moses thought the children of Israel were in need of deliverance 40 years before. God is, is addressing Moses' Moses' deepest fear here, which is what the deepest fear for all of us is. It's simply rejection. He's like, hey, hey Moses, they, they shall hearken to thy voice. Don't sweat it. They're going to listen to you this time. And thou shalt come, right? And you're going you're gonna to be back. They're going to hearken to your voice. I think we're all f- afraid of rejection. Now, now God is addressing Moses in this, is this, in this deeper fear. And I've been in ministry long enough to see how rejection hurts people's confidence. When a, when a parent or peers reject you, there's part of, part of that that makes you want to give up or go away. Amen? That's right. So in Moses' case, he did both. Uh, he, gave, he gave up and he went away. And now God is calling him back to a relationship that is painful for him. This is not a relationship that was real you know, easy to deal with. I mean, he'd been, he's been rejected by his Hebrew brothers. He had to run from Pharaoh. I mean, he's, he's out here in the desert. Some of you have been rejected by family members, even your spouse, and there's nothing more painful than that. Nevertheless, God has called the saint to allow a meeting with God Almighty to turn his pain around or her pain around and make it profitable for the kingdom of God. He can take that and use it for his honor and glory because God of the universe has met with you and saved you and assures you of his love and his call and his love can, be, uh, can lead you to a difficult loved one or to a spouse and, and give you the grace to love them first even when you're not loved back. I mean, God gives you that kind of grace and that's the kind of power he was given Moses. That's the kind of assurance he was given Moses. Moses wants Israel delivered, but God wants them delivered now. And he wants him delivered his way. And so by faith, Moses will have to believe God's word that Israel will want to be delivered and will not reject him. And so by faith, Moses has to go out and, send, and speak this message. The major difference between Moses at 40 and Moses at 80 uh, is who God has called, <clears throat> is, is, who is, is who God has called, right? So Moses could do, not do what he was doing at 80 at 40 years old because he was doing, uh, he was attempting to deliver God's people in the flesh. We cannot do in the flesh what God demands us to do in the spirit. God will not do uh, spiritual things in our flesh. He needed to come to the point where he was dependent upon God. 
And so there's a major difference between Moses at 40 and Moses at 80. And we see it from the moment he meets God on the mount. So the promise is that the elders of the leaders of Israel will join Moses in standing before Pharaoh. And while we don't see a lot of that, we do know one elder, and that's his elder brother, Aaron, stands before Moses and does actually present the message with him. It's much easier to face spiritual opposition when you're joined with others who agree with you. And that's one of the reasons, again, we gather together. That's why God commands us not to forsake the assembling of ourselves together as the manner of some is, especially as we see the day approaching. Why? Because we know it's getting gnarly out there. When you roll in here on a Sunday morning, I pray that you sense this is a God-honoring, uh, we're, we're all for Jesus here, right? You, you can come in and be safe. No one's going to beat you up over it. No one's gonna, you can be as much a Jesus freak here as anywhere in the world, man. We love you because we love Jesus. But when you walk out in the world sometimes, it's, not, it's increasingly not, not very favorable. The winds are blowing, right? It's getting a little colder at times. And, uh, and so, you know what? You need a place to gather. You need a place to get God's mind, a place to be encouraged so that you can go out. And that's what the church is here to do. Hebrews 10.25, we're not to forsake the assembling of ourselves together as the manner of some is, but exhorting one another, and so much the more as you see the day approaching. We've got to encourage one another. Point C, God's mission is not accomplished without saints who trust God's promises. In the Bible, uh, there's an acronym I use. Uh, the trust is all through the Bible, but I use a little acronym uh, or acrostic, uh, totally rest upon scriptural truth. And that's the place that God put Moses in, where he had to totally rest upon scriptural truth. If you want to lead people to Christ and make disciples, you'll need to trust God. You're going to have to totally rest upon scriptural truth. Uh, before we, we had HBF, there was a Bible study at Harold Hatman's living room. I think today, probably only Alicia Filer, and I'm not even sure she's in the house today. She's there. You were there, weren't you? So, so you know I'm not making this stuff up. She can verify this. But we had like six to eight people. There was a time. This was six to eight people. And, uh, and you know what? I had no idea when we started that we would ever grow beyond six to eight people. You know, as a matter of fact, Harold started. I, I just sat in for the first month or so. And, uh, and, and, then I, and then we just took off from there, you know, and God blessed it. What do you got to do? You just got to go by faith. You got to walk by faith. I'm praying that in the next seven years, God will, will call many to grow up and even go out of HBF and plant churches. I had a conversation even this morning about planting a church in a community uh, not too far away. Well, kind of far away. That's why we're talking about planting a church. But anyway... Um, so those are things that we need to pray about and we need to ask God about. Why? Because we need to get the message out, no matter where it's at. We've got to get the word where it needs to go. And you're like, well, Brian, I don't know that we have the people to do this or that or the other. I don't either. But what do we do? Will we have the people for this uh, 20 years ago, Alicia? I don't think so. So, uh, man, but God is able. He's well able to do above and beyond what you could ask or think. And he will. So God, God assures the call. And with his presence, with his name, and by the way, you were there too, Amy, so she can also vouch. So we have three witnesses, me, Amy, and Alicia, and uh, wherever Mark's at. And so, uh, so God assures the called with his presence, with his name, and his command, and his promises. Fifth thing, and i got to move quick because I am five minutes and 26 seconds over. God assures the called with his message. And I'll be quick here. The Lord God of the Hebrews, verse 18, hath met with us and not let us go. We beseech the uh, uh, three days journey into the wilderness that we may sacrifice to the Lord our God. You see, God wants to, wants to get this message across to Pharaoh. This is your message. Go to Pharaoh. Say this. That I, you need to go out and worship in the wilderness. 
And you see, God gives a very simple message to one of the most powerful men on the planet. And so our God wants us to go three days' journey into the wilderness to worship. That's simply the message he needs to deliver to Pharaoh. That sounds like a simple request, but we all know that once you give up the liberty to assemble for worship, it's not always easy to get it back. And just ask your brothers in China who've been under lockdown for two years. And even before that, assembly wasn't possible for many. And so it's hard to have the freedom that we have here once you give it up. Talk to our brothers uh, trying to meet in, in Goa District, in Telangana, in Western Orissa. Just got a video two weeks ago, man. This poor brother, he's getting beat. Uh, I don't, he didn't get killed. So he just got beat, you know, pulled out of his church and beat. And this is a guy that people that I know know personally. I mean, this isn't like something that's not real going on. There's something that happened 100 years ago. This happened within 100 days ago, right? And then I got another video just before that. You guys see the video where they ripped the church down around the, the worshipers near that same region, right? So they're, they're worshiping, and as they're just, they sing all the way through it, and their whole church gets torn down around them as they're trying to worship God. I mean, it's not easy out there. And you know what? That's why God's calling us to make sure that we are, we're, we're going out and, and we're, we're preaching that simple message. Hey, man, God's people need to be free to worship Him. God's people need to be free to worship Him. Point B, God gives us a message that we all can, that, that all we do is deliver. I'm sorry. God gives us a message. All we do is deliver the mail. Right? This message might not have been palatable to, um, to Pharaoh. Right? He, God gives the message. We just deliver it. That's all you got to do. God didn't call Moses to get the outcome. As a matter of fact, quite the opposite. He says, Moses, this ain't going to work. <laughs> I need you to go share the, the message. Go give the news, and it's not going to work. Pharaoh is not going to receive it. So there you go. Go, go get him. Sick him. All right? How encouraging is that? But God, he just tells us to give the news. You know, there will be people who reject the message. That doesn't mean you haven't been obedient. You just got to be careful. Don't take it personal. Remember that God still loves him. God can still work. I remember I was thinking back in my own life. When I was 10, I mocked the gospel. Alex Jamie's man, just mocked it and made fun of him, ridiculed the gospel. When I was 15, I lied about the gospel. Told people I was saved when I wasn't, probably even before I was 15. So I've mocked the gospel, I've lied about the gospel. And now I carry the gospel, you know. And it's, uh, just before I turned 17, I trusted Christ as Savior. God finally got a hold of me. Man, I'm so glad that someone didn't, I'm glad God didn't just give up after the first try. He, now, by the way, he has every right to. If I'd have died in my sins at 10 years old and busted hell wide open, I was worthy. That's what I deserve. 15 years old, man, I was lying about it, my salvation. If I'd have died and went to hell that day, I mean, I'd have deserved it. Some of you might be liars in here. I don't know. I really don't know who's saved and who's not. Only you know if you're saved or not. Only you know if you know Jesus as Lord and Savior. Don't be a liar. Get it right. Get saved. Answer the call of salvation. But if you're saved, man, praise the Lord. Go out and tell people. And don't, don't remember, you may not have received it the first time either. That's why it's always be seasoned with grace. You know, you don't have to like get him in a, an arm bar and put him down. You know, receive Jesus as Savior now. You know, just hey, come back around later. Pray for him. Our brother Brad McGuire, man, he tells an awesome testimony. Pastor Chuck Hagan, door knocking in Harrisonville, Missouri, at his door, week after week. Like, man, this guy, when's this guy going to get off my porch, you know? One day, Brad come knocking on my door. 
Guess what? He got saved. To Chuck Kagan's credit, by the way. Not, I, didn't, I didn't do a whole lot. I just preached here at church. But man, you know what? God, God he, he comes knocking. He comes multiple times. Man, we should too. Don't, don't give up. Make sure you're delivering that message. Be faithful. Have that, have that assurance that, you know what, God's still working even when people say no. Sixth thing, almost done. God assures the called with his sure judgment. That's important. As a matter of fact, it's somewhat motivational uh, to, give, to help you give people more grace. Because, man, once you've gotten grace and you haven't gotten what you deserved, right? That's the mercy of God. We get saved from hell. We, don't, we deserve it, but we don't get it. Well, that gives us a little grace when someone else who doesn't receive it immediately you know what, They'll get, I hope they get it later, because I don't want them to face the judgment of God. I, I really want them to be saved. If you have any compassion at all, man, God, God assures the called with his sure judgment. In Exodus 3.19, the Bible says, I'm sure that the king of Egypt will not let you go. <laughs> so, wah, wah, wah. No, not by a mighty hand. And I will stretch out my hand and smite Egypt with all my wonders, which I will do in the midst thereof, and after that, uh, he will let you go. So, he'll get there eventually but not before I have to do a little bit of damage. Now, he doesn't elaborate on it. Now, we'll get to see all the other details later, but at this time on the mount, he don't know all the details himself. He's not, like, he's like not going through all the plagues. He's just assuring him very succinctly, hey, look, you're going to go. It's not going to go well, but it will go well, so just trust me on this, son. Just go. So God assures Moses his message will be rejected. Anybody going to go out here today excited about that okay i promise you today if you just go in obedience your message will be rejected hallelujah hey it's still worthy of going i had to wrestle with that when i years ago preaching at the mission it really helped me as a pastor of a church too uh you know i'd, I'd get up i'd be so sincere and, and serious about getting people saved and god knows my sincerity i was there and you know, guys would just mock you, laugh at you, flip you off, throw things, whatever. I mean, just, you're like, do we got to Doug Dukesville over this? You know, what do we got to do here? And, and God said, hey, Brian, listen. Someday, some of these guys simply are not going to make it to heaven. Like in my devotional time, I'm probably reading, you know, Revelation chapter 20 or something. And I'm seeing faces of people I know. He's like, hey, they're not going to make it. But you know what? They're going to know that you were there every day offering the opportunity. And man, once I got that, I was like, oh, yeah. Your hand's not short that it cannot save. I get it. I'm just here to give them the opportunity to get saved. So someday when you justly condemn them to hell, the people that say they're the farthest away, the lowest of the low, the in-the-ditch guy, the drunk guy, you were there every day, literally some of these guys, 365, maybe twice a day, two, two sermons a day, Offering your grace, trying to help them out. Because that's how good God is. He is a good, good God. And man, I was like, okay, God, I can do that. I can go and be an extension of grace. Even if they don't receive it, I know that you're offering it. And I can do that. Actually, it helped my disposition. And I realized, wow, man, I'm just here to love on these people. And you know what? It's amazing how that actually helps the message get across. Now, even in that, people still reject it. But I tell you, there's some wisdom and some understanding that, you know what, not everybody's going to receive it. But you know what, God is worthy for us to preach it. In Romans 1.16, Paul said, For I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it's the power of God into salvation to everyone that believeth, to the Jew first and also the Greek. So God assures Moses his judgment will be released upon Pharaoh in verse 20. And a lot happened 
in, in between verses 19 and 20. God produced 10 plagues, if you, don't even, if you don't count the Red Sea crossing. He turns water to blood. He sends frogs, ice, flies, or lice, I should say. Flies, cattle die. They get sore boils. Hail, locusts, uh, thick darkness descends. Death of the firstborn, of course, at the Passover. Uh, then to top it off, Pharaoh is foolish enough to chase the children of Israel into the Red Sea and drown him and his army, which we'll get to all that later. But the scripture tells us that God is not slack concerning his promise, as some men count slackness. That passage is in the midst, if you go back and read 2 Peter 3, in the midst of a chapter on judgment. And right in the middle of that thing, God says, oh, and by the way, uh, my judgment's coming, but, but man, I'm not willing that any should perish. I want, I want to get everybody out that will come. So God leaves the preaching to us, and, he, and we leave the spankings to him. Right? God leaves the preaching to us. We leave the spankings to him. Our job is just to get the message out even if people reject it. And lastly, God assures the called with his blessings, right? He assures the call with his presence, with his name, with his command, with his promise, with his message, with his judgment, and with his sure blessings. And that's the last thing he says in the chapter. God is the one who, who changes the whole, uh, <clears throat> changes how the world esteems us. In Exodus 3.21, it says, And I will give this people favor in the sight of the Egyptians, and it shall come to pass that when ye go, ye shall not go empty. But every woman shall borrow her neighbor of her neighbor and of her that sojourneth in her house jewels of silver, jewels of gold, and raiment, and ye shall put them upon your sons and upon your daughters, and ye shall spoil the Egyptians. Now that term spoil doesn't mean like spoil your kids. We're talking like spoils of war. You're going to go out of there victorious. The Egyptians hated the shepherds long before Joseph showed up. You know, today the church is a little bit dyslexic, man. They don't understand. This world is not going to love us. Somebody just told us that. I don't remember who it was a few months ago. Uh, oh, it was at the men's conference. Ray Stewart brought that up. All right, this world is not going to, they're not going to love us. They'll change. Right? In the millennium, when we return with Christ, the whole disposition of the world is going to change toward us. I promise you that. But until then, right, the, the, the church is not really here to enamor the world. I, I don't care how awesome we get at playing music and light shows. You're not going to go beat whatever goes on down Sprint Center. Right? There's no sense in trying. That's not even what we're trying to do. We're trying to worship the one God in heaven. We're not trying to keep up with the world. You get the church in that mode, we're trying to keep up with the world, the biggest, the baddest, the best, blah, 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 blah. blah. Listen, man, you're going to be fighting the devil till Jesus comes. And you're not going to win that battle. But if we focus solely on God and his word and getting his message where it needs to go, well, then you know what? Everything's going to prosper because it glorifies him. And in due time, the world will even understand that. I was in the world once. I'm glad I got the message and got saved. It was God who changed Pharaoh's heart toward Joseph because of his visions, right? It's the same holds true for Jacob's seed. The Egyptians despised the Jews because it was mandated by the state. Nevertheless, as God pours out his judgment on Pharaoh's hard heart, the people of Egypt softened to God's chosen people. And by the time we find ourselves in Exodus 12 at the Passover, they, they have favor and they even give their riches up to the people of God as they leave Egypt. And we even find out there's a mixed multitude. Some of them even follow them into the wilderness. Some of them follow them into the promised land and become proselytes. In Exodus 12:33, and the Egyptians were urgent upon the people, and they might send them out of the land in haste. For they said, we will be dead men. And the people took their dough before it was leavened, and their, knee, and their kneading troughs being bound up 
upon their clothes, upon their shoulders. And the children of Israel did according to the word of Moses and borrowed of the Egyptians jewels of silver, jewels of gold and raiment. And the Lord gave people favor in the sight of the Egyptians so that they lent unto them such as they required and spoiled the Egyptians. You see, the Christians must understand that our identity and our blessings come from the Lord, not this world. The Lord provided that. Point B, that's what the Holy Spirit itemizes in Exodus 3.22. He doesn't mention the men, just the women. This is a picture of the catching away of the church and the, tri- and the tribulation saints. Both the church and the nation of Israel are defined as female in the end times prophecy. And so the church will inherit spiritual riches in the kingdom of God. Israel will inherit the physical riches of the kingdom of heaven. The itemization looks like this. The jewels of silver is the currency of redemption. Jesus was betrayed for 30 pieces of silver. We are to invest the gospel in the souls of men. And those who come to faith are redeemed by the blood of the Lamb and are like precious stones and jewels of silver. Jewels of gold. Gold is the pavement of heaven. The deity of Christ is likened to gold. And we are told at the judgment seat of Christ that we want to have gold, silver, and precious stones available when we come out of this world. 1 Corinthians 11 or 3.11 says, For another foundation can no man lay that is laid, which is Christ Jesus. Now if any man build upon this foundation, gold, silver, and precious stones, wood, hay, and wood, hay, stubble, every man's work shall be made manifest, for the day shall declare it, because it shall be revealed by fire, and fire shall try every man's work, or what sort it is. The last item we find is raiment. And this clothing is mentioned in Revelation 3.18. It covers our nakedness, but not ours only. The nakedness of our children is indicated in this passage. It's not enough for us to have these precious promises, beloved. It's all about the children. In Exodus, it's all about killing the firstborn. It's all about the children, the children, the children, the children of Israel. Why? Because we need to pass these things on to our kids. That's the raiment. They need to be covered in the righteousness of Christ. You may work in this world, but your investment should be in heaven. Proverbs 13.22 says, A good man leaveth an inheritance to his children's children, and the wealth of the sinner is laid up for the just. Your, your, your lost boss may not know it, but God has placed him on this planet to finance your ministry and the ministry of the Lord Jesus Christ for you and your family and for everyone that you can win to Christ. Are you, are you, phys, are, are you uh, physical children or spiritual children? It doesn't matter, I'm sorry, if you have physical children or spiritual children. God wants to, to use the things of this world to bless the ministry, to get you where you need to go for riches in eternity. Are you laying up treasures in heaven? Or is all your investment in the wood and the hay and the stubble of this world? And I'm not, this isn't like a prosperity gospel, like, oh man, I'm going to get rich here. You may not have anything in this life, but your promise when you invest in Christ, man, there is riches, gold, silver, precious stones. It is the people, the souls of men and women on this planet. The most valuable thing on the planet are its people. And if you don't know that, I tell you who does know that. The Antichrist knows that. And people who want to, I got to hold up what I want to say here, but I'm just telling you this. There's a lot going on in this world today. And putting people in bondage is the name of the game because the most valuable assets on the planet are people. It's been a battle over souls since Genesis. And we need to really get in the game and realize, you know what? Who the liberators are in this, in this story are the people who have the message of liberation. This isn't some liberation theology. I'm not going to so just if you're watching online, anybody out in the atmosphere, I'm not asking anybody to pick up a weapon and liberate anybody. I'm saying we have this weapon. It is the sharp two-edged sword. And this message, that's why Mao hated it. 
It is the most powerful message in the world to liberate souls. It doesn't matter where you are, what conditions you're in. It doesn't matter what your race is. It doesn't, what your, it doesn't matter what your economic system It doesn't matter if you're in a fascist regime, a democratic regime, a totalitarian regime. This message, this book, is enough to free any soul anywhere, anytime. We just got to get it there. It's the power of God and the salvation to the Jew first and also the Greek. Beloved, it is a strong, strong, simple, strong message. You are very valuable people. You may not feel assured. You may not feel confident. You may not feel like a preacher, but I promise you, you all in this room, you have so many riches already. Just having this book, having this group of people, having the liberties that we have to take the gospel where we can take it. Man, guys, we got to get a hold of this thing and just get a hold of God's assurance. If you didn't know that God wanted to use you before you walked in here today, I want you to know when you stand up and walk out, you are the called of God, and you have his assurance that he wants to use you to get his message where it needs to go on time. Amen? Let's stand. Heavenly Father, thank you for this opportunity to come together. Lord, we're so thankful for the opportunity to have assurance of your presence, your name, your command, your promises, your message, your sure judgment, and your blessings. I pray, God, as your people go forth today, they'd be encouraged in the Lord, Lord, that we would grab hold that we are the called of God according to your purposes. Lord, that we wouldn't say no, but we would just go with the message that you have, regardless of how it's received, Lord, would we have the grace and understanding